This is an Area Code podcast. Hi everyone, Jack here. I'm delighted to say that we have another artist-submitted cover for you this week. A trio out of Durham, North Carolina, featuring Julia Reeves, Dan Klaus, and Matt Stutzman, have given us a lovely interpretation of the namesake of this podcast, Wildwood Flower by the Carter Family. It's great. I will play it right after the Maybell Carter story, so stay tuned. You don't want to miss it. Welcome to Wildwood Flower, stories of women who built country music. I'm your host, Jack Peterson, a lifelong music fan and country music outsider, trying to embrace a genre I've always held at a distance. I don't know if you watched Ken Burns' country music documentary, but there are several characters that keep appearing at different points throughout the 18-hour runtime. Hank Williams, Johnny Cash, D. Ford Bailey, Merle Haggard, and Jimmy Rogers, and many others get their fair share of screen time. Burns, despite the many worthy choices available to him, opted to close his telling of the story of country music with a slow, lingering shot of Maybelle Carter hugging her auto harp on a stage, eyes closed, mouth wide mid-song, while the Carter family's Wildwood Flower plays in the background and then over the closing credits. I think we all know that Burns made the right choice. Uh, Wildwood Flower is a an old tune. Now, some of the words uh, we uh, probably, you know, did. But uh, it's uh, my grandmother knew Wildwood Flower. And uh, I, I believe in one time or other, I think some of the words have kind of gotten mixed up till they are supposed to be in something else where they've got because they don't make too much sense in a few places you know in the song and I believe that they have just misunderstood and got them but uh, I guess if we hadn't have found it and uh, recorded it it'd probably been dead forever nobody ever uh, found it because um, I don't know where it, uh, to tell you the truth where it came from the original was it known as Wildwood Flower for mm-hmm. your grandmother to say it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I was, ever since I can remember, when I was a little tot, I used to pull that auto harp off of the table and sit on the floor with it because I couldn't reach up there to play it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew Wildwood Flower then. And uh, she sang it, and my mother, you know, used to play banjo, five-string banjo. And... Uh, Everybody in the family sang Wildwood Flower. (laughs) If you listened to the Sarah Carter episode from last week, and I hope you did, you know the basic chronology of the Carter family up to 1941. In this episode, I will very lightly touch on the same information, but not enough to turn off those who listened to the last episode, but also not enough to satisfy those who did not listen to the Sarah Carter episode. Mabel Carter's influence on American music cannot be overstated. Her somewhat self-taught guitar stylings are singular, and country musicians have been trying to imitate her ever since. Her and the rest of the Carter family's project of recording a wide range of folk and sacred music is credited with preserving musical heritage under threat of obsolescence. Her collaborative and non-judgmental spirit afforded her life-changing influence over none other than Hank Williams, Johnny Cash, and Elvis Presley, among many others, I'm sure. She is, after all, Mother Maybell. 
Maybell Addington, born May 10, 1909, grew up a quarter of a mile from where her cousin and future Carter family musical partner, Sarah Doherty, was living with her aunt and uncle. Sarah and Maybell's older sister, Madge, used to play music together. Maybell was one of ten children. The entire family was musical. Well, you know, Duke used to do, my bro- older brother used to do a lot of his old tunes like that, and, uh, Um, he used to play a lot of old banjo tunes, and my mother used to play old five-string banjo. Like I said, when I was playing a lot of these old tunes, I don't know what I'm playing. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know what the name of them Her own style is the legendary Carter Scratch. When I started playing the guitar, I didn't have nobody to play with me, so that's how I developed the style of picking in the, the rhythm, too, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh... They call it the Carter Scratch now, some of them do. <laughs> June Carter would say, she just hooked that right thumb under that big bass string, and just like magic, the other fingers moved fast like a threshing machine, always on the right strings, and out came the lead notes and the accompaniment at the same time. The left hand worked in perfect timing, and the fret seemed to pull those nimble fingers to the very place where they were supposed to be, and the guitar rang clear and sweet with a mellow touch that made you know it was Maybell playing the guitar. Leslie Riddle, the black man who helped A.P. Carter in his song collecting, and a stellar musician in his own right, had a significant impact on Maybell's guitar stylings. Here's Maybell talking about that influence, and in the interview, she refers to him as Esley Riddles. The Carters often called him Esley. That's how the Carter girls, too young to pronounce Leslie, would refer to him. Play a little bit of a, a tune here, that the style that I learned from a colored man that used to come to our house and play guitar, and he played with his finger and his thumb. Oh, really? I like Chet, yes. What, what so was his I name, can't huh? play like uh, his name is Esley Riddles. And uh, he used to come to the house and quite often, you know, AP would bring him up and we'd sit around and play. And he really knew a lot of old songs and played a lot of good guitar. For entertainment as a youth, Maybell and her family would walk miles to holiness revivals. Not because they ascribed to Pentecostalism, they were primitive Baptists, but because Pentecostals had the best music. After Sarah Doherty married A.P. Carter, Maybell came for a visit. Knowing her guitar skill, they asked her to join them in a musical performance they were putting on at a schoolhouse in December of 1925. A.P.'s brother Eck was also attending the performance, since he was seeing a schoolteacher there. Upon meeting Maybell, Eck changed his mind about the schoolteacher. He ditched her and went home with A.P., Sarah, and Maybell, and that was the beginning of their relationship. 
In no time, 27-year-old Eck and 16-year-old Maybell were married. She says, All of a sudden, the first thing I knew, we were married. I met him on the 13th of December, and we were married on the 13th of March. Eck bought a radio. They listened to Fiddle and John and Moonshine Kate, among others. If you don't know who Fiddle and John and Moonshine Kate are, you can listen to episode 4 of this podcast to find out. Eck thought Maybell was better than anyone they could hear on the radio. AP agreed, especially when Sarah and Maybell sang together. Sarah and Maybell grew closer, sister-like, when Maybell married Eck. Along with her musical ability, Maybell could also dance, ride a horse and a motorcycle, and bake a delicious banana cream pie. Maybell was also sociable and developed an empathetic, non-judgmental manner, perhaps partly influenced by her primitive Baptist upbringing. One day, AP made an announcement to eight-month pregnant Maybell. She says, AP came back home and said, we're going to Bristol tomorrow to make a record. And I just fluffed him off. I didn't think about making a record. The next morning he said, y'all get ready, we're going to Bristol. And I said, well, should I take my guitar? He said, well, how are you going to make a record if you don't take your guitar? And I said, well, okay. And we all got ready and took off. Eck lent AP his car in exchange for AP weeding his cornfield. The Carter family makes the bumpy, draining journey to Bristol from Macy Springs, Virginia, records six sides for the Victor Record Company, earns $300, and returns home, happy to have the cash, but not expecting much to come of the sessions. Listen to Storms Around the Ocean from these sessions. You can hear Sarah on lead vocals in auto harp, AP harmonizing, and Maybell playing both lead and rhythm on the guitar. Maybell gives birth to her firstborn, Helen, a month after the August 1927 Bristol Sessions. By November, the Carter family records began to appear, and they started to catch on. Maybell says, I had the surprise of my life when we went into Bristol one day and saw a crowd of people gathered around listening to Jimmy Rogers and Carter family records that were being played over the loudspeakers. This was something new and caught on like wildfire. Ralph Peer signs the Carters to a contract. If they could copyright a song, they could get $50 plus the copyright royalties split evenly with Peer. AP would thus go on song-collecting excursions throughout the hills of Virginia. He soon enlists Leslie Riddle in helping him find these songs. The two would scour the mountains together. Maybell would learn everything she could from Leslie, determined to continue to expand her repertoire, and she would continue to learn what she could from anyone with something to show her. Maybell's style bridged geographic, ethnic, and social divides. Holiness tradition, spirituals, Mexican and Tejano, Hawaiian slide, black blues, leading me to think that Maybell's particular genius is similar to that of David Bowie, 
someone who embraces and incorporates a wide range of musical styles into a distinctive singular sound. The Carters record a second session in Camden, New Jersey with Peer and Victor. The session produces 19 sides, many of them classics. Wildwood Flower. Keep on the sunny side. John Hardy. River of Jordan. And many other fine selections. One song that exemplifies Maybell's adoption of a blues-style slide guitar is Sweet Fern. But uh, back then, uh, you know, I just, uh, I turned my strings down, put a little steel bar under the neck, up a little, uh, and played on my regular guitar, you know. With, uh, and I did several records like that, anything to get something a little different, you know. There we were with the auto harp and guitar, there wasn't much to do with that. Again, Sarah is on the vocals and AP on harmonies. Here is Sweet Fern. Sweet Fern, Sweet Fern, Sweet Fern, Sweet Fern. Oh, tell me, is my darling still true? Sweet Fern, Sweet Fern, Sweet Fern, Sweet Fern. I'll be just as happy as you. More than any other member of the Carter family, Mabel desired and felt a strong connection to her audience and loved performing. Sarah didn't like performing at all, much preferring to record in a studio. AP had his own bizarre issues with live performance. He would sing when he felt like it, sometimes wandering off the stage, sometimes forgetting his fiddle and only realizing when he was on stage. What AP would do, you know, when we was recording, if he, I mean, if he felt like singing, he'd sing, and if he didn't, he'd walk over and look out the window or he'd come back. <laughs> See, he didn't play an instrument, and he'd just walk around over the studio, and he'd come over and sing three or four words, and then he'd go off somewhere else. So we never, we never, uh, depended on him for anything. We just let him sing when he got ready. 
me. As the Carter family grew in popularity, they needed more songs to record. AP would collect songs, but couldn't remember tunes. When Leslie Riddle was around, he would act as AP's tape recorder and teach the songs to Sarah and Maybell. Sometimes Sarah and Maybell would have to reconstruct them based on AP's sketchy memory. With recordings, Maybell would be perfectionistic, at least aware of the flaws and the songs they were making. Ralph Peer was not interested in perfection. She might convince them to do another take of a song, but it often resulted in Peer releasing the take with the flaw. She continued to experiment in her style. She took advantage of new advances in radio and phonograph recordings to expose herself to as much music as she could. According to Carter family biographers Zwanitzer and Hirschberg, by the end of the 20s, Mabel Carter's scratch was the most widely imitated guitar style in music. Nobody did as much to popularize the guitar, because from the beginning her playing was as distinctive as any voice. In a two-year period ending in 1930, the Carters sold an astonishing 700,000 records. Eck was Maybell's biggest supporter. He bought her her legendary Gibson L5 archtop guitar for $275. This was at the start of the Great Depression. While many performing acts weren't able to keep selling records, the Carters experienced a decline, but never enough to force them to quit. It's possible that listeners found comfort in hearing the tales of woe, loss, and hope from people who sounded like they knew what they were talking about. Songs like Worried Blues might have been a salve to some worried souls. It takes a worried man to sing a worried song. It takes a worried man to sing a worried song. I'm worried now, but I won't be worried when it comes to her music, Maybell is serious and businesslike. Though one of the greatest innovators in music history, she is never flashy, she never grabs attention. She quietly and expertly does her job. This steadiness and calm helped keep the Carter family together through tumultuous times. When Sarah fell in love with AP's cousin Coy Bays, and she and AP separated in 1933, eventually divorcing in 1938, Maybell was able to be a neutral yet supportive friend to both Sarah and AP. It's not that she was without conviction, for she certainly had her standards and would let you know where she stood. It was more that she was able to be herself without holding judgment of others or without becoming impassioned. In a future episode, we'll talk about the only time I'm aware of that Maybell showed public anger, and I'll tease you by saying it was directed at Hank Williams. In 1933, Maybell gives birth to her third child, Anita. Helen was born in 1927 and June in 1929. Eck joked before Anita's birth that he was going to name her after that schoolteacher he used to date, Ina. Funny, until we find out that Maybell almost didn't survive the birth, losing a lot of blood. Once Eck was sure that Maybell was going to survive the arrival of the 10-pound, 5-ounce girl, Eck does exactly what he said he would. He names her Ina. Maybell allowed it, but only called her by her middle name, Anita. For the rest of her life, no one would ever call her Ina. 
The Carter family, following Ralph Peer, switches labels from Victor to Decca. They re-record a number of their hits for their new label, including the definitive version of Will the Circle Be Unbroken, which Victor foolishly never released. My favorite from their Decca sessions is Hello Stranger, which the Carter family recorded in 1936. It's a duet by Sarah and Maybell. It will be in your head for days. It features Maybell on vocals. Hello, stranger. Put your loving hand in mine. Hello, stranger. Put your loving hand in mine. You are a stranger, and you're a pal of mine. Get up, rounder. Let a working man lay down. Get up, rounder. Let a working man lay down. You are a rounder, but you're all out and down. In fall of 1938, the Carters were invited to join the Border Blaster XERA radio station cast in Del Rio, Texas, headed by notorious huckster John R. Brinkley. They would be offered $75 each week with six months of paid vacation to perform two radio programs a day, morning and evening. Maybell and Eck decided to leave their older daughters, Helen and June, in Virginia and only take five-year-old Anita with them. June and Helen hated to be left behind. To make matters worse, the Christmas gift Maybell sent arrived late. June says the contact we had with them was mostly trying to listen to them on the radio. Talking about that radio station, Joe Carter, son of Sarah and AP, said, That radio station was so powerful. You touch a barbed wire fence right next to the station and it would burn you. It wasn't even connected, just the molecules through the air, I guess. This old boy who ran the concession stand, what he had for a radio was a wire in the roof of his shanty that went to a tin can sitting on a solid piece of metal. You can hear entirely what was going on in the studio. We went to uh, Texas to work for Consolidated Drug Company on uh, XERA, it used to be, that blasted all over the world. Mercy. I never saw as much mail in my life. And every day of the world would get mail from every state, everywhere, oh, in the Union, you know. And uh, when we left and came home, we had uh, over 5,000 letters in a box that came in. <laughs> At this time, Sarah and AP divorced, and Sarah married the love of her life, Coy Bays. It made it increasingly difficult for the Carter family, the band, to stay together. After the summer 1939 radio sessions, they received word that XERA wanted the Carters to come back, this time to San Antonio, to record radio transcriptions that could be sent to various stations rather than performing live on the radio. The good news is that even Helen, June, and Anita were asked to record on the show as well. Eck was in favor, not wanting the Carter family name to die, as Sarah would not stay a part of the group for long. Here's a taste of what those transcriptions sounded like. I'm out with these blues, dirty cold black blues. I'm out with these blues, dirty cold black blues. We'll lay off tomorrow with the coal liner blues. 
Well, the blues sure got the Carter family. That was Sarah and Maybelle with the coal miners' blues. Now here's the three little Carter sisters, Helen, June, and Anita, and they've got the blues. It's the Columbus Stockade Blues. A little bit of diversions here. The announcer is Brother Bill Guild, who was coaxed into auditioning for the role when he accompanied a friend for the auditions. He was offered the job but declined it, saying that his ministry came first. He finally accepted the position when he was told that he could mention God as much as he wanted on the air. Oddly, he was paid $6.66 per hour. The Carters were more popular than ever and sounding great. Even broken-hearted AP managed great performances on the radio. Maybell, always the collaborator and supporter of others, made risky moves motivated by kindness. For example, she loaned her legendary guitar to another performer on the Good Neighbor get-together, Cowboy Slim Reinhardt, who went on a bender and lost the guitar in a poker game to a local army airman. Maybell had to get the bass commander to step in and get the guitar back, but she did get it back. In the last recording sessions of the Carter family, before Sarah leaves the band, the Carters record in Chicago in the winters of 1940 and 1941. These recordings include the first songs that Maybell wrote from scratch. Why Do You Cry, Little Darling, Buddies in the Saddle, and Lonesome Homesick Blues. I've got the lonesome homesick blues I've got them bad babe down in my shoe I left someone there that I might lose That's why I've got these old homesick blues The Carter family disbands and AP and Sarah go their separate ways Maybell keeps the family name going, establishing Mother Maybell and the Carter sisters. There's a lot more of the story to be told, and it will be in future episodes. Maybell's relationship to Elvis, Hank Williams, and Johnny Cash are stuff of country music legend. We'll get to these stories. I imagine I'll do at least two more Maybell episodes as we move through the decades. We'll also go deeper into the lives of Helen, Anita, and June Carter. For now, we'll leave the story of Maybell from 1909 to 1941 with this quote from Rita Forrester, granddaughter of Sarah and A.P., an executive director of the Carter family fold. Rita says, There are so many musicians who credit Maybell's influence that it's hard to remember who they all are. I'm sure that anybody who has ever played a guitar has used something of Aunt Maybell's. They'd had to. There's no question in my mind. Now I have a treat for you. A Durham, North Carolina trio has submitted an excellent cover of Wildwood Flower. Julia Reeves is on vocal, an octave mandolin. Dan Klaus is on banjo. Matt Stutzman is on bass. Of this submission, Julia writes, I have virtually no experience or background in playing or listening to country music, but I felt drawn to Wildwood Flower because I loved it on first listen, and my middle name, Sakiko, means blooming hope child in Japanese. Also playing an instrument I have no training in and recording myself singing for the first time was a really vulnerable but rewarding experience. 
Here's Wildwood Flower. Big thanks to Julia Reeves, Dan Klaus, and Matt Stutzman for that excellent submission. The group doesn't have a band name, but there is a video of their recording of that submission on YouTube. I've put the link in the show notes. If you too want to submit a cover song to be featured on the podcast, please get in touch with me on Instagram at wildwoodflowerpod or through email at wildwoodflowerpod at gmail.com. If you're listening back to previous episodes and are inspired to cover a song for which the deadline has already passed, don't be deterred. Still be in touch with me. I would love to have an all-music covers episode that could air in between regular episodes, when we reach 10 or so submissions. You don't even have to really be promoting your music, just if you feel inspired and want to share. Ways to support women in music and the podcast are in the show description, along with references and a song list from today's episode. The next episode, Elsie McWilliams. Thanks for listening to Wildwood Flower.